You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today, I'm very excited to welcome Lee Conan to the program. Now, Lee is the author of All the Broken People, and of several young adult novels, including Love and Other Trainwrecks and The Romantics. Ooh. Her latest novel, All the Broken People, is being released as a paperback on August 3rd. Welcome to the program, Lee. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So I always like to say that this story is this story. The show is about uncorking the stories behind the stories. So, Lee, where does your story begin? So where does my story begin? I mean, I guess... I have wanted to be a writer for a long time, uh, and I kind of just, it was something I was always doing, writing and reading, and so I, you know, I started out in young adult because when I began writing, I was about 22, and that's what felt right to me then, and then over the years, I've kind of moved into this adult thriller space because that's kind of where my head is at now, and I found that that's what I was always reading myself and those are the kind of the books and stories that, that I love. So that's where I've been in the last couple of years. So you say you always wanted to be a writer. When did you know? I mean, can you, can you pinpoint an age or about a time in your life when you, you kind of had that thought that, Hey, this, this might be something I want to do for a living. So I would say I knew I had ideas about it really early, like really young when I was, you know, I was always writing stories when I was a kid, like, you know, eight, 10. And then I did kind of not, as I got older, I didn't really think of that as a viable career path. So I studied journalism and was trying to be a bit more practical about it. And I think it was after I moved to New York uh, in my early 20s that I started to actually meet a lot of uh, writers and novelists, and I realized that it wasn't just, you know, something that only a few famous people could do. And so that's when I started to think about, like, okay, it would be really, really awesome to be to be published and to be able to, you know, write for a living. And it still did take me kind of a long time to get there. I was always, you know, writing mornings and evenings and all that for, for years, like for a decade. But uh, now I am able to mostly write uh, full time. And so it's, it's been a real blessing just to be able to kind of get up in the morning and that's what's on the agenda for the day. So, you know, this is a storyline that I hear often, which is, you know, people who, who have been very successful in doing this, as, as you've been saying, I knew from a young age I wanted to do it, but there was something inside them that said, I don't think I can make a living doing it. And I'm just curious as to where, where you suppose that doubt came from in your life? Well, I don't know that it's actually doubt as much as just practicality. Um, you know, I 
had student loans. I was completely supporting myself on my own. So I couldn't just, you know, throw myself into something that didn't have a salary, that didn't have health benefits behind it um, at the time. And so I, I think it's, you know, there definitely is a self-doubt, but there's also just kind of a societal issue of it's very, very difficult to make a living. I mean, I think in actually a lot of careers, it's difficult to make a, a living wage and all of that, but especially in um, artistic fields, it's very difficult. So I would say most people do have something else going on. And even when they kind of break out and are able to do it mostly full-time, most authors I know are still doing other work um, here and there as well. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a combination of, you know, of course you doubt yourself and you doubt whether it's going to happen for you, but I think it's also just, you know, unless you're independently wealthy, you do need uh, other sources of income um, when you're starting out. And, and even as you continue through your career, because it is a kind of a winding path and there's no guarantees. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a, a profession that does not come with health benefits and retirement. <laughs> Definitely. And I mean, I think a lot of the ways that I've been lucky is that my husband's in a union, so he has really good health insurance and benefits for us. And I think that's one of the reasons why I have been able to continue to freelance and, and still have some of those more uh, traditional protections as well. And I think that's been really wonderful for me, but unfortunately that's just not the case with most writing fields. So I'm, I'm curious, like when you were younger and you knew you wanted to write, did you have, you know, anyone in your life, whether it was, you know, a relative or a teacher or someone who, you know, encouraged you to, to kind of pursue this as, uh, you know, as more than just a hobby? Yes, actually, I was really lucky. I think pretty much everyone in my life kind of pushed me towards that. My, my parents were always incredibly supportive. My sister, uh, I think teachers, uh, friends, I think they actually took it more seriously for me than I did at the beginning. Uh, you know, my dad would always say, Oh, I, I know you're going to be published. It's just a question of when, and there was a lot of years where I felt like, no, this is never going to happen. And so I was really lucky that my parents, they always really believed in me and they always kind of they never, they never said, oh, go do this other job or go, go try this other thing and try to do something more secure. They were always super, super supportive. And I had a lot of teachers who really kind of, I think, fostered like a love of storytelling, a love of reading, and also, you know, would, would kind of pick up on that writing was a strength of mine. You know, when I would turn in an essay or, or a book report or something, they would kind of see that, I really did love to write and I, and I had, you know, the beginnings of a way of expressing myself. And so I did have a lot of encouragement. Um, so, I, I, you know, another thing I'm curious about is you started off, you know, in young adult and you mentioned, you know, earlier when we were, when we were just talking that, um, you know, you were, you were younger at 21, 22 and you thought that that would be, um, not, not, that that's what you should be writing, but that's kind of what you felt compelled to write. And I'm curious as to kind of what was your first, you know, kind of taste of success as a writer in, in that genre? Well, I think, you know, when I first, I got my first um, kind of traditional book deal with uh, The Last Time We Were Us, and then the follow-up to that was Love and Other Trainwrecks. 
And that was through HarperCollins. And that was just kind of, you know, that's what I've been, been dreaming of for a long time was to be traditionally published with a major publisher. And, and for that to happen was just huge. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was just, it was one of those things where it's like, until it happens, you think it's never going to happen. And so I was thrilled and at that point, I really didn't think I was going to be moving away from YA. And I would have been surprised um, if I could have peeked forward and seen myself in uh, five years, I guess. But uh, I don't think I would have gotten here without having written those books as well. I think those were part of how I learned to tell a story. And they were part of how I learned to express myself and to learn what I love to write about and what was important to me. So even though it is a, maybe a less than traditional path um, in terms of switching genre and sh- switching age range, you know, to me, it was always storytelling and it was always just the story that I was ready to tell at that point. Well, w- walk me through or paint a picture for me, if you could, about sort of that, that journey, that, that first publication, kind of, you know, the, the, the steps you went through and, and what that journey was like, um, you know, landing that first book deal and then going through the, the publishing process? Well, I mean, gosh, it was, a, it was a long time ago now, but it was, you know, I did it pretty much in the, um, the typical path. I, you know, I had an agent, she submitted to different publishers. I think with that one, we actually didn't hear back on a deal for a couple of months and I do like to tell that people that story because I know sometimes other writers are, you know, they're dismayed if they don't have an offer right away. But, the, you know, it's not an urban legend. You can get um, offers uh, later in the game. So basically, you know, we found an editor that really connected with that story and was kind of excited to bring it to the world. And then you know, publishing is a wild business. So actually my editor then ended up leaving and I got another editor um, at Harper, but that was really fun too, because she and I worked uh, really closely on plotting out my next book, which was Love and Other Trainwrecks, which is one of my favorites of, of my YA books, just because I, you know, I still love that story. It's very, it's a very kind of contained story. It's all about two kids who meet on a train and it kind of was a throwback to some of my favorite uh, old movies. So, uh, so yeah, it was a really good experience. Um, but, you know, I, kind of as the years went on, I realized that I was really, really drawn to more of this thriller space. And so that's why I kind of, on a whim, started writing All the Broken People and kind of seeing what would happen with that. And then you know, I didn't know it was going to happen, but I was really, really pleased when I got, you know, the response I got for that book. Uh, cause I felt like I was kind of taking a leap there and it was wonderful to see that other people were connecting with, uh, you know, a mystery thriller in the way that I had. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I just spoke with somebody the other day who went from writing speculative fiction to sort of the mystery and thriller type space. So, you know, kind of similar genre change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious in, in your experience, um, what was different for you in terms of your approach for writing all the broken people versus, you know, or, or compared to, you know, love another train wrecks or the romantics. So 
the biggest difference, you know, I think everything I learned with character, um, with kind of, you know, just like how to, to craft a story like that, you know, it's the same. You're still storytelling. The biggest difference was the plot of a mystery is just very different. It's more complex. Um, well, not, not even more complex, but there's, there's definitely some, a lot of seeding you have to do early on and, you know, pay off at the end. And, and it's all about surprising readers and, you know, keeping people on the edge of their seat while still in, staying invested with the characters. So I definitely had to do multiple drafts and, you know, the plot changed with every draft as I was kind of teaching myself how to really write a classic mystery thriller. Uh, so it kind of, it felt a little bit like going back to the drawing board, but of course, so much that I had learned carried through as well. So, I, you know, one thing about writing, you know, mysteries and thrillers is you, you know, you kind of learn, and, and this is probably true, I'm, I'm sure it's true for other genres, but you, you learn about the characters as you're going through, as you're, as you're developing them and writing them. And you know, at least I found anyway that sometimes I'll, I'll have a sense of where the story is going to wind up, but then I'll even surprise myself when I'm writing something and it'll, it'll change. It'll be different from, you know, what, what I initially had had planned out or had outlined. Did, did you work with an outline for, um, for all the broken people? And, and if so, did you sort of um, deviate from it at all? Yes. Yeah, so I always work with an outline. I need to have something in order to kind of go forward uh, so I always had an outline, but I changed wildly and I ended up re-outlining it for kind of every draft, uh, big things changed in all the broken people, like, uh, you know, people's whole motivations, who the killer is, all of that. So that book really was, yeah, a lot of surprising myself, a lot of getting to the end and being like, oh wait, maybe this is going to happen. Um, because I think... I had to kind of just get the characters out in the setting, you know, it's set in upstate New York and it's about this woman who's kind of escaping um, a, a troubled past in Brooklyn and finds herself in upstate New York and is drawn to this couple uh, who kind of gets her involved in this whole other situation of uh, faking someone's death. So there was a lot going on with that book. So it was kind of, you know, like, I feel like one draft I really cracked, like, the 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 characters and and their friendship and all the interpersonal relationships between them and kind of this whole you know noir style plot of faking someone's death but then other drafts you know really push on on the other mysteries nestled in the book uh, because there are a few so it was definitely a process I think my subsequent books uh the perfect escape which is coming out in uh this coming January was a little bit more straightforward just in the writing process for me because I had learned so much with all the broken people so if if you had to, to sort of pitch to me what all the broken people is about um what would you tell me what is what is the story about so we have this character Lucy she's about 28 uh she's a writer she is getting out of an abusive relationship. And so she leaves Brooklyn um, to kind of hide in plain sight up in upstate New York. And she connects with her neighbors, John and Vera, 
and develops this really, really close friendship with them. And then they ask her to help uh, fake John's death for them to be able to escape some of, some of their own secrets that they have. Uh, but all kind of goes awry when shortly after uh, they go to fake his death, John actually turns up dead in, in actuality. <laughs> so they're kind of thrown into this mystery of what went wrong, what happened, who actually killed him, and, and how, how much are these characters involved in, in his death. So how did, uh, I mean, this, that sounds fascinating and, and intriguing, and, and I'm curious how this, how this story came to you. Uh, so I just, I started with the image of, I was actually up at a writing retreat in the Poconos, so it was very beautiful and kind of remote, and I just started of this, with this image of this woman waking up in the country, having just come from the city, and kind of she was obviously fearful and she was trying to get away from something. And that was kind of, that was like the first image. And then I had another image of people go, three people going on a hike and two people go up ahead and the woman behind hears someone scream and then runs forward to see what happened. And so those two images kind of came together to build a story because the way that they end up trying to fake uh, John's death is by going on a hike uh, in the Casco mountains so it was honestly it was just kind of piecing those elements together and it was also based on my own you know personal love of old hitchcock old noir and kind of kind of these bonkers plot lines that are are pulled together by really strong characters so that's kind of what i was going for and you know i had a lot of fun writing it and <laughs> trying to pull it off so I have to ask, because you just mentioned Hitchcock, what's your what's your favorite? If you could pick one, your favorite Hitchcock movie? So I think my favorite just to like watch for like the beauty of it and the music and everything is Vertigo. But my favorite for just the story and like a perfect script is Rope. Mm. Interesting. I love Vertigo. Vertigo is the one with Jimmy Stewart, right? Yes. It's uh, Jimmy Stewart and Kim uh, Novak. And it's all in San Francisco. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. he, remind me. Is that the one where he sees someone get murdered? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yes. Got it. And I should. You know, it's funny. Um, I I own a company called Vertigo Partners, um, and and people ask me, you know, how I came up with the name, and depending on who's asking me, I either tell the truth, which is I named it after a U two song, um, <laughs> or if I think they're a film buff, I'll say I named it after the Hitchcock movie. Awesome. Well, actually, I do have to clarify. So that is, he does see someone get murdered in Vertigo, but the one you're probably thinking of is Rear Window, where I'm thinking of you know, I'm thinking of Rear Window and see someone get murdered. But there is, he does see someone also in Vertigo get murdered, but it's it's not this the same situation. And Rope is a great movie that um, actually Jimmy Jimmy Stewart is also in that, but he's older. Um, But it's about two. kind of college age kids who decide to uh, kill their friend uh, with a little bit of rope before a dinner party. And that all happens in about the first five minutes. And then the whole movie is just watching the dinner party unfold with this uh, dead body literally under the table. Oh my gosh. That sounds, <laughs> I've, I've never seen it, but I'm, that's going to, that's going to go on my list tonight. It's really good. It's, it is so, it's the ultimate suspense kind of, 
thing because you know what's happening it's not a mystery yeah. it's just the tension of watching it and I feel like that's probably why it's my all-time favorite just in terms of like a tight screenplay a tight story well that that's one of the reasons why I like um I mean I'm gonna date myself here but um I mean you're talking Hitchcock so uh <laughs> no judgment but um uh, the show Columbo uh, was one of my favorites because you know exactly, the audience knows exactly what happens within the first uh-huh. five minutes. You know who the killer is, um, but it's watching it unravel and watching, you know, the detective put the pieces together and understanding motivations um, to me is the, the most fascinating part of that. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I've actually never seen that. Oh, I've Columbo heard of it. Great. I've Columbo heard of it. was it's great. 80s, right? Well, you got to start with the ones. Actually, it, it premiered in 68, and then it got oh, picked wow. up. Um, it got picked up in the early 70s, and they did okay. like like 10 or ten or so a year. It was okay. almost like a movie of the month kind of thing. Gotcha. And okay. um, you want to watch the early ones. The ones in the 80s were a little, I mean, they were cheesy even by 80s standards. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying something. Um. So let me ask you this. I know that you're a fan of sort of the mystery, the thriller genre. If, if you were stranded on a desert island, which, which mystery and thriller authors, um, you know, would you want to have, you know, who, whose books would you want to bring with you? So I think in terms of just the amount of books that I really connect with, I'd say um, Ruth Ware and Leanne Moriarty. Uh, I just love so many of their books. Um, and they're like total, total, um, they're different, but they're, I love them all in a different way. Uh, but honestly, I, my, I would always also say that I'd love to bring the books of Jane Austen, even though they are not mysteries or thrillers, but those are what I kind of turn to when I just need a story that I know I'm going to love. So her as well. Yeah, very good. And then um, if you didn't write for a living, let's imagine if, if, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't take that turn and, and make a career as a writer, what would you do? Um, so I really want to, want, always wanted to work in um, film in some way. And it's funny because that's what my husband does. But I would love to be uh, a TV writer or a screenwriter, even though that's still writing. I do feel it's different. Um or a director or something like that. But that sounds even harder to do than to be a novelist. So we'll stick with this. Um, have, has any of your work been adapted or been optioned uh, to be adapted for the screen? Uh, yes. Yeah, so All the Broken People was optioned um, by CBS uh, when it was first uh, coming out. Uh, and then there's, you know, my other um, thrillers are kind of you know we're in the process of getting ready to send those out now so nothing's been made but it's it's really fun even just knowing you know you know having the phone calls uh talking to people that you really admire and hearing that they connected with the story do you um anticipate participating in the screenwriting process or or just serve as a consultant i don't know you know i think that i as much as I love the idea of screenwriting. I don't know that it comes supernaturally to me because I tend to write really descriptively and I write a lot of kind of interiority in the character's head. So it doesn't translate super easily to the screen. So I have mixed feelings. I think it would really depend kind of what the team was and, 
you know, who this, who potentially there was attached as a screenwriter. And I think it would be really wonderful to be able to kind of work with somebody and learn from them. Um, I'm not sure if I'd want to kind of helm the whole thing myself. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to Tess Gerritsen, who was the creator of, among other things, the creator of Rizzoli and Isles, um, uh, the, the novels. And, mm-hmm. and when that, I think it was on TNT or USA, it was one of those cable networks. It was adapted into a, um, you know, TV show, a pretty successful TV show. She, she wanted nothing to do with the writing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was just, it was like she created the novels and wanted someone else to take care of the, uh, the screen adaptation, which apparently they changed, um, a lot. And she, uh, she may or may not have had a hard time with that, but. Well, um, interestingly, I do think some of my favorite adaptations are the ones where the authors were not too involved because I, I do think what makes a great book and what makes a great TV show or a great, um, movie sometimes are different things sometimes I think things need to change um so but I I I imagine it would also be hard to be on the other side of it and it's your baby and watching them you know change things without you yeah well last question here because I'm just about out of time but if if you know you mentioned that you knew you wanted to write from a young age and I want to think of I want you to think about yourself at at whatever age that was um and now I want to, I want your adult self to give your younger self a little bit of advice. What would you tell your younger self? Uh, I would tell my younger self to relax a bit uh, because I was very neurotic about it all. And I was always worried that it wasn't going to work out. And, and it did. And I would just really encourage myself to um, kind of think less about whether something's going to be published or whether it's going to take off and just to think about writing the story that, that I really wanted to write. Um, cause sometimes it's, you know, when you want something so badly, it's kind of, it's easy to get lost in the weeds of that. And, uh, I think that the further in I get, I realize that no matter what point you are in, um, your career, or if you've been published or not, or published multiple times or, or what have you, I think writing is the, the reward in itself. Like writing is the fun part. Um, so I would just advise myself to really kind of do that, write the stories that I wanted to write and try my best to enjoy it as it happens. Well, there we go. Very fine words of advice from Lee Conan, whose book, All the Broken People, will be available in paperback on August 3rd. Lee, thanks for joining. Thank you so much. 